Welcome to the Hey Sanat podcast. I'm your host, Sanat Janeski, and I'm here to have real life conversations about the things that we need to hear, but don't really like to talk about. So tune in each week as we laugh and cry our way to a new perspective. Now let's get started. Hello. Ah, today I have a really special interview with a really, really, really special friend of mine. I am chatting with Lynn Serlina. She is so beautiful and so charming and just this like really huge, bright light in my life. You know, when you just meet someone and you just know, I think like that was us, right? Like we just, we just went so deep, so quick. She has shared so many intimate parts of her life, as have I. I've shared with with you so much intimacy. And you're so graciously offering to have this conversation today. And it's not a light topic, Mm -hmm. but it's an important one. And that's what this podcast is all about, is let's talk about the things that we need to talk about, but don't really like to talk about. And so today, just a little bit of a trigger warning, we are talking about sexual abuse, what that looks like, how so many people are experiencing it and not talking about, not talking about it and what that looks like now in your life as someone who, you know, is turning 49 and soon to be 50, right? Like you've lived a life. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's just such an honor to be a part of your platform. You know, I get excited about everything that you do. So the invitation to be here was like, when, when, um, <laughs> tomorrow, today, right now, um, because you and I have this incredible friendship that um, started with liking each other's outfits in at work and then fell in love with each other's heart. And we are so kind one towards an one towards each other. And I, I'm just excited to be here. Of course, the topic is always this um, it's always heavy, but I think it's heavy because we carry it and it's not meant for us to carry it. I think the conversation about sexual abuse is about bringing it in on the table and really, you know, creating dialogue so people can bring their heaviness and leave it on the table in as opposed to carrying it like it belongs to them. Because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we all know that that is not uh, ours to carry. Do you know what I mean? We were victimized. There was a predator. And we unfortunately were the ones that they preyed on. So it's, it's not our story. To, it's not our weight the heaviness is not for us. So we make it normal and making it normal doesn't mean the act is normal, but making it normal mean the conversation is, is not one that we're going to be afraid of. And, and letting other victims know that they are not alone mm-hmm. and that this is a safe space. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's, it's not their fault. Yeah. And I want to just, you know, as we even, and, and you definitely gave the trigger warning, uh, I want to encourage, you know, 
women and men that are listening to this conversation, that it's really important that you find um, a safe space to have the conversation. Um, we would recommend, you know, reaching out for some therapy um, just to, you know, um, just to create a space where you can hear yourself, right? Uh, This is not about confronting abusers or uh, this is about you um, walking in purpose and in confidence and knowing that better days are ahead. So I, I encourage, you know, if you haven't started talking to a therapist, reach out to one and uh, get that conversation going. Because again, it doesn't belong to you. You're absolutely right. This is something that requires professional attention Mm -hmm. and the resources are there. Mm -hmm. And there is no shame in getting help. And you mentioned this is women and men. Mm -hmm. And although it may seem easier to just keep it in and hold on to it. Mm -hmm. It's actually manifesting in your life in so many different ways. And you and I had spoken about what sexual abuse, it can impact your views on your sexuality, on Mm -hmm. what sex means, on how you can use sex to your advantage, Mm -hmm. how you can have control over the situations. And so it impacts and manifests in your life in so many different ways that, and it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to control you. Mm -hmm. And what happened to you doesn't dictate who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's so true because I think for me, um, you know, as you said, I'm going to be 50 this year. Yes. And, um, I cannot wait to celebrate you. Listen, looking forward to that. <laughs> and looking I'm like, forward. I have a friend that's 50, okay? Like I used to. <laughs> and, and age comes so much wisdom. Yeah, it so, does. So much wisdom. And you have so much wisdom to share. Wisdom is just kind of this 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 strange character, right? Because she require requires a lot of wilderness, alone time. Her her strength is really in the stillness of what's happening and where you need to go. And it's so interesting that you say that that wisdom is in the wilderness, and mm-hmm. and and you know we're we're conditioned to to believe that. If we are wild, it is bad, yeah. you know, and if we have, we, we're experiencing too much life, it's no good for us because we have mm-hmm. to get our shit together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but wisdom is breeded through experience. It is. It is. And sometimes it's the very thing that ignites us into sort of being more curious about why we are sometimes in these these vicious circles of, you know, self-sabotage or self-inflicting harm or all of those things or doing things that are not in alignment with what we feel in our core and for me, I, I know that, um, you know, I was sexually abused when I was uh, younger, uh, my stepfather, and then, you know, unfortunately, the traumatizing experience of being gang raped. And, um, and I couldn't do anything about it at the time, because one of the, the assailant, <laughs> 
his uh, his family was very tied up in you know the police department and and me it was my word against their word and it was just you know it it gets really really ugly and so for many years you know I lived my life particularly my teenage life saying you know thinking well this is not going to happen to me I will make sure that you know whatever I want to do with my body, I can do it. No one's going to do it for me. So you start living a lifestyle that again, it's not in alignment with who you want to be. And I saw that to come to this point, I remember hitting 40. And when I hit 40, I thought I had got past everything, you know, like the sexual abuse. I was a woman, I was fully present in who I was, you know, we, you know, we go through all of these things. And then I started getting dreams, like nightmare, really, because they're not dreams nightmares, literally reliving the experience Wow! from age nine and onward, like, like vividly, like I, I would see myself in the dreams in my nightmares, because let's call it that, uh, holding a, a, the hand of, of, of um, people that were supposed to protect me, the clothes that I was wearing, and I would get up the next morning and I would be tormented. And I remember going to my doctor and saying, I, 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 like, I thought I had overcome this. This is like long time ago stuff. Why is this resurrecting? And she says, you know, for some women, when we suppress things, um, it gets to a point where there's no space for it to keep its head sort of like in hiding. It pops up. And the only way to deal with that is to give it space. Yeah. So we eased our way into this conversation just for the sake, I believe, of the listeners. Like I just wanted it to be really calm going in. And now that you shared a few highlights of what happened, mm-hmm. can we can we start from the beginning? So mm-hmm. you grew up in Trinidad. Yeah. Yeah. You were born and raised in Trinidad. And you said that the first time that this happened to you, you were nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. I really didn't know what was happening to me because, you know, I, I, uh, I was sleeping and I was my, my, uh, awoken. And, um, and I remember just, you know, this thing happening to me as a nine-year-old girl. And, you know, sometimes I think when we tell these stories, we are so far away from the age that we, we sometimes can't even wrap our mind around you know, a nine-year-old child, but I think a nine-year-old child is one that would be in grade three. Well, Elsie is turning nine in right. two months. Right. Right. And so I'm like, I can feel the aches in my heart right now because yeah. what does she even know about sex? Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. her body mm-hmm. and, and I, and I try so hard to instill in bo- in all of my children, the boys and the girls, mm-hmm. that no one is allowed to touch you. Yeah. And I even ask them permission to give them a hug. Yeah. So Can funny. I give you a hug? Yeah. And when when other family members now I don't have the fear of this happening within my family. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I don't think it would. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. with like aunts and uncles and cousins or whoever, you know, when they try and say, come here, give me a hug, come here, give me a kiss. And if my children say no, I will never say to them, no, you have to. Mm-hmm, 
mm-hmm. because I want them to know. And it sounds a bit extreme because it's family, but I need them to know so deeply that their no means something. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a role that when you take the lead in a child's life, meaning as a parent, as a guardian, your role is to protect, your role is to tend to their needs, and your role is to feed them. Those are the three most important roles that you can carry out as a leader in somebody who has a codependent relationship on you with, right? So to protect, meaning that you have those conversations, that when they say something to you, you believe them, to tend. If there is something that is broken or they're not showing up the way that they normally show up, you stop whatever you're doing and you tend to that, right? And to feed, to feed and to nourish their soul with love, with information, with a safe place, with resources that they would need because you are, you know, I always look at it in the, in, in the sense you are the shepherd of these lambs, these, these tender creatures that are looking to you, the wise and great one to lead them and how traumatizing it is to know that you would leave them available in the fields to be um, violated, attacked, um, destroyed by the wolves and all the predators that are waiting on the sideline the minute you turn your head. And, and this isn't just something that like you, you were in Trinidad, this happened in, especially now with the internet, Oh, come with, on. you know, YouTube and messenger and all of these things. And it's so scary mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to think that it's just gotten worse. Yeah. Like it's, it's just getting worse mm-hmm. and child pornography mm-hmm. and like, and again, it's kind of, you, you know, using the metaphor of a shepherd and sheep, right? Like there is an idea that they would know your voice. They would know, they would know to trust you. So when somebody comes along that is not in alignment with the, with the pasture or the atmosphere that you have created, they can easily identify, whoa, whoa something's off, something's off. And I know who I can tell that something's off with this person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I had an incident, uh, the kids were younger and we were in a religious setting. And, and of course you would think that in that setting, you drop your guards a little bit, right? Because you're like, everybody's here. Everybody's, you know, uh, of the safe. same mindset, same faith. And my girls, there, there used to be this gentleman that would, wherever we are, he would beam in and find us. And all he wanted to do was hug the girls. And at first he would hug us. And, and I always thought, oh, he's so nice. He's just such a nice, he's an older gentleman. Nothing very unassuming, very, very unassuming. And then, but I noticed every time that he would come over to hug us, the girls would be like, mom. And they weren't comfortable, but because I, the protector, the shepherd, I uh, would say, no, 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 it, it, it's, you know, it's not nice. Just, you know, give him a hug. And then one day they said, we will not, that person gives us the worst 
feeling in the world. And we will not just like it was like, it was the biggest red flag. Now, nothing ever happened. But what I started doing, at first, I listened to them. I positioned myself to protect them because that is that is my role. And I noticed that when I repositioned myself from the, you know, the person that's distracted and like, you know, fall a lion to this person of like, I am a protector, this grown man started trying to dance around me to get to the children. But, um, you know, they would be underneath my bosom. And then I thought to myself, could you imagine if I had not tuned into this? Obviously, there was an intent, but I, I listened to them to, pre- to prevent whatever that was, right? And then after a while, the person just stopped saying hello to us. And then after a while, they won't even come near us because it didn't matter where my kids were. I would see him and I would see them and I would literally just dart in between because what I was saying to him was not, not on my watch. I believe them not on my watch. And then we did no hugging. I wasn't even hugging because I also didn't want to give them the impression that I was okay with him. Right. And now nothing had happened, but I wanted them to know beyond a reasonable doubt that when they tell me something, I believe them. And it's so important for women, girls who then turn into women to listen to their gut feeling, because if any, like I heard a study showed that every single situation where it did end in sexual assault or abuse, they, they said they had a feeling that something was off mm-hmm. and they didn't listen to their feeling mm-hmm. because we've been conditioned one, not to listen to our gut instincts, our gut feeling. And mm-hmm. two parents yeah. are, are unfortunately worried about what does everyone else around think us if we say no to this. Than, than paying attention and listening to, to us as young girls. Yeah. And so yeah. you doing that and believing, like it sounds simple, but n- not many women are doing it, mm-hmm. believing their children. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that seeps into a life in a, in a huge way, because I remember the, the first time I was 12 years old and I said to my dad, you know, what had happened to me and, you know, this culture- was after the, the nine, when you were nine. Yeah. Yeah. So I was about a, a 12 now and I had did it now not moved- happen or did it continue to happen? It continued to happen it, from it ha- nine to 12. Yeah. It happened. And this a- was your stepfather. And this was my stepfather in your home, in my home. Um, you know, and, and, and I mean, he was definitely a predator. He was also abusive with it. So, you know, poverty played a role for us. And, and I really want to put that out there because, you know, sometimes we would say, you know, why do people do these things? Why, why do women stay in these relationships? The complexity of it can be so layered. Do you know? I mean, for our, our, our situation, we were poor. You know, my mother had, you know, us, we didn't have a protector. It was just my mother and uh, three children, three girl children, which made us an, a prime target for a predator, right? A woman um, not self-supporting, three young, beautiful girls in need of something. This was, this was like, you know, a ripe season. This was harvest season for a predator. 
Do you know what I mean? And not having the resources to sort of help you, you know, with, with, um, you know, with, with, you know, getting a better life, getting your children education. But the point that I was trying to make is that I remember telling my dad, now I had left Trinidad and I came to Canada to live and I was trying to better myself for lack of a better word after experiencing the trauma for the last, you know, four or five years of my life. And I remember saying to him, you know, dad, this is, you know, this is what happened to me and, and so forth. And I remember, you know, my dad looking at me and saying, well, what did you do? You must have done something. And what that does to you, it, it makes you seem like you are a liar. And or so, that it's your fault. Yeah, right? So you spend time trying to prove to everybody, no, 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 it's the truth. So you live a life from the lenses of no one's going to believe you unless you have proof. And you become in defense mode. Yes. Yeah. And that's how you tackle your life moving forward in yeah. defense constantly. Constantly, you know, um, as a Black woman, as a woman that was sexually abused, um, the layers, there were so, so many layers just trying to navigate through. And also there's this thing where I'm never going to drop my guard again, because when you fall to pick up your guard, there is somebody waiting to knock you down. And so living in constant fear as a child. Yeah. You're yeah. a child. Yeah. 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 Did your mom know? My mom knew. Mm-hmm. My mom knew. My mom um, became um, instrumental, unfortunately, in allowing the act to continue. Um, there was almost like an exchange in a sense that I will give you her if you are able to take care of the family. So I became the, um, the commodity in the business of uh, hunger and poverty. I became that commodity. I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. And did your sisters experience the same? Um, my sis- yeah, my, 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 so there's, uh, I have four sisters and my fourth sister, unfortunately, because we had uh, her father was the predator. And so, um, which was my stepfather. And unfortunately, when I was taken away by my own biological father to move from the Caribbean to uh, Canada, unfortunately, she became my replacement. By her own father. By her own father. Yeah. And we didn't find that out until many, many years later, you know, and um I've sat with so many, so many women with a story that, um, <laughs> I mean, we're having this conversation, but there are, there are so many women that are locked in the prison of this torment, this thing called sexual abuse. Yeah. And it happens so much more often than we know. Mm-hmm. And it happens in, relationships that we wouldn't even think of like you said father and daughter Mm -hmm. or husband and wife Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know some people have the idea that 
it's not rape if you're married. No. <laughs> you can be no, in a relationship. You can be married. You could be whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's still if if you are not consenting, and just because you are married does not mean that is consent. No, and 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 let's even sit in this space for a little while because I think for a lot of men and women that are married and have this the trauma of being raped, how they show up in marital relationships uh, is really different, and consent becomes a huge thing. You know, I, I know, you know, my husband and I, we used to have to have conversations about it, particularly uh, what used to trigger me, which I didn't even know when my husband would drink and he's not an alcoholic, but the, the, the residue of the alcohol is on his breath. Wow. Right. 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 Like, like, like yes. the residue and, you know, we would you know, I'd be like, yeah, you know, let's get our groove on. And the minute I smelt his breath, I would go right back to this nine-year-old girl. And all of a sudden I would want to like fight him, you know, especially if I had had too much to drink, but it was, and then I kept going, why is it? And then it was finally one day I uh, realized that the trigger for me was his breath. Wow. And I, and, and I had to say to him, we had to have a conversation about that. And I said, listen, um, you can't drink and, um, and us be intimate. It is very traumatic for me. And, you know, we had this hard conversation and it took me a little while to even sort of like be brave enough to have it. But I knew it was important for our relationship because I, I didn't want to be a prisoner of that traumatic experience, I wanted to have this healthy, wholesome sexual experience without the the trauma and the remembrance of the um, the rape. And it was it was just something as simple as that. Well, yes, simple in the words, but really, mm-hmm. it's your senses. Our senses are so powerful That's it. that they'll just take you right back. That's it. That's it. But now, bef- even before you were married, mm-hmm. when you came to Canada, did you have any more experiences with this or did it just? No. No, it stopped? It stopped. But here, 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 it, the, 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 the violations stop, but the memory of the trauma remained. And I, I will tell you of an incident that happened. Uh, I think I was just, I think I was a two years into Canada. So I think Canada was about 12, going on 13. So I would have been 14 going on 15. Can I ask I you? Had, yes, go ahead. What, when did you get your period? Nine years old. You got your period at nine years old. Mm-hmm. And is, was it you getting your period that, because is it a coincidence that it started at nine or was it now you're a woman and now you're no longer a child mm-hmm. that this is going to start now? You know what it is for me? Um, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't, I think for me, it was neither. I think we were under the watch um, of a predator. So regardless, it has so it was it's a coincidence. Yeah, it, it just happened to be, but yeah, we were under 
the 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 <laughs> we were under the thumbprint of a predator and we were we were perfect life stage um people family for for this type of person okay. we were ripe for him ripe for the picking is what they would say in a very sick way you know and i'm sorry i cut you off because you were saying that you're now 15 years old yeah so i i you know i you know trying to get this level of in this normal life again i party with my friends you know do the thing have yeah, the teenager boyfriend. yeah you know we're in canada now you know we have access to so many things right did you feel yeah. safe you know i don't know if safe was the word because i felt lost you know i i felt like there was this thing that i was carrying that I can present well, but if really, if people saw the ugly that I was sort of carrying, it would separate me from the possibility of having the life that I would want to have. So there was a loss, you know, there was a feeling of being lost, like you never fit in. Right? You're it, also sur in survival mode. Come and on. You will, you will do anything to survive. And if that means act normal, it's you're going to master. Come on. Right. Because what and, and I'm glad that you said that, actually, because what people don't realize when you have been victimized and you've been abused, one of the things that you master is the art of pleasing people. Yeah. And you you are probably, you know, if if we would make the best FBI profilers because we know how to read people we we know body language like it's like our 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 birthright we we are very sensitive hypersensitive yes like extremely yeah. because you have to remember we are constantly navigating a predator so just think of like like the imagery of like you are in the jungle in the night and they say to you there is a tiger there's a lion and there's a bear and you are, it's dark. And your senses are heightened because you are trying to protect yourself. Yeah. So a bird moves, you would, you, you are, so then you now to know how to identify. Yeah. You can yeah. identify, oh, that, that's a wing. That's, that's a bird moving from one tree to the other. The, the the weight of that body is too light landing on the branch. So I know it's not the lion. It's literally the hunger games Come in on. real life. Come on. Come on. Yeah. And it's and do or die. Literally. And and wow. this is both manifested in your mind, your behavior, your your the way in which you see the world. Yeah. Do you, do you know? So I was telling you about this. Uh, so I'm 15. And unfortunately, what's one of my coping things, I, you know, I started drinking heavily. Right. So I would and because I would always get the compliment, girl, you can hold your liquor. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so good. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. it's like skill set. Yes, she can hold her liquor. Right. So the more people told me that, the more curious I was about how much can I really hold? Because again, this is also part of the people pleasing personality, right? 
Well, it's something that they can say about you that is not she's the one that is being raped. Yes. Yes. Right. Because they don't know why I'm give them something to talk about. So they don't talk about the the real. real. Yeah. So I'm 15 and I'm dating this guy around the corner. And I think it must have been about like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'd had a couple of glasses of Jack Daniels and I used to do Jack Daniels. 15 years old. Girl. Yeah. Jack Daniels. You know, that's another story, right? (laughs) Jack Daniels. And I used to mix it with, I think it was Heineken, but it was a beard. Like I would mix. I thought you were going to say Coke. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's for the, that's for, remember the chumps. Right. I can hold my liquor. So girl, I'm going, I'm experimenting. And this is in Toronto to paint a picture. Toronto Bathurst. No, this time we were at uh, Finch and pharmacy area. Okay. Scarborough. Yeah, we're in this and the suburbs of Scarborough, right? Yeah, yeah. Decent people, decent community, you know, everything. Everybody's there is doing the right thing in the community, children, car, that kind of thing. So, girl, I came home and I had, you know, I was hammered, hammered. And I got so hammered that what started happening, I started acting out. But for me, I didn't know that I was acting out. So, my cousin was with me and um, uh, I think another uh, girlfriend was there and I was just, I was just, just acting crazy. Like I was saying crazy things. So of course they were concerned that, you know, that I was going crazy because, and I couldn't be controlled. So they called 911. Right. Cause at this point, like there's no adults in the house. There's uh so the, the ambulance came, the fire truck came, um, and of course they come into the house, what I saw and, 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 and I remembered it like it was yesterday was four men and I was gang raped by four men. <sighs> so when these guys came in, uh, I was so intoxicated. Um, and the thing about memory, alcohol heightens our memory. It, it, it takes us to places when, when, when it's, when it's heightened. So anyways, they came in the house. I started pulling a knife because I thought you're not going to get to do this to me again. And this is to the police officers, the police officers and the, um, the firefighters. Oh man. So they had to, um, they obviously knew that I was in distress because, you know, they, they were obviously trained. Because um, their goal. Well, was- we say obviously, but unfortunately, that has not been the common situation with mm-hmm. black yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, and police. And I- you know, this is not just in the states. I mean, I don't know what's oh, happening in other parts of Canada, but I can tell you in Toronto. Listen. Yeah. Listen. I mean, we. <laughs> that's a whole uh, other conversation. That, yeah, that's a whole. But just to paint a picture of the severity mm-hmm. of the situation mm-hmm. here, and I think, and I think one of the reasons why they came in with a different mindset because we were in the suburbs of Scarborough at the time. It was a pretty um, well-to-do neighborhood, so they're coming with the intent that whatever is going on with these teenagers, it's probably just teenage stuff. Right. And my friends, you know, in, 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 in the home were both 
white. I was the only black person in the house, actually. And I, so I think it, it, you know, I say that to say that calm the, 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 the environment, the atmosphere, right? So they, they, you know, so I'm fighting them. They eventually put me in a straight jacket and, uh, you know, off to the hospital I went. And that was the first time any, anybody, any grown up had a conversation with me about what it is that I was just um, manifesting. That's when it started. That's when I realized what I had just left or walked through in my life. And of course, it was never the same again. And what resources did they offer you? Or like, what happens after that conversation? Like such a profound conversation. Yeah. 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, it, it, the, the, you know, there was a lot of, there was group sessions for, you know, we were dealing both with alcoholism and somebody that's sexually traumatized, but then there was culture. And again, being in the black community, that was not something that was going to be culturally accepted because that meant that you were put in your family's business out in the street. So even with the resources that were available, culture super exceeded everything. Yeah. So I almost had to deny the fact that I um you know I was sexually abused, deny the fact that I was um an alcoholic and just say I made a mistake and I was being silly and it will never happen again. And so what it really taught me is that, again, no one believes you, you are a liar, and this thing that you're talking about, it is more in your head. So you actually start shifting from like this place of like, okay, did it really happen to like, you know what, let's just forget about this. I have so many opportunities ahead of me. Like, why am I focused on these negative thoughts? Negative thoughts. Yeah. It's so shameful for the family, my negative well, thoughts. The, well, there's so much shame that comes with what you've experienced because yeah. nobody believes you, because nobody talks about it, because mm-hmm. you've been blamed. Mm-hmm. And a lot, and, a, and, and, you know, having this conversation is not just about bringing, you know, sexual abuse on the table, but it's also removing all the barriers that would prohibit this conversation from being on the table. And of course, we know coming from various communities, that is not part of the conversation that you can put on the table. Because again, culture super exceeds everything. Yeah, exactly. And that's what this is about. It's like, let's talk about what has normally been taboo Mm -hmm. because we need to normalize the conversation. Mm -hmm. We have to, it is our duty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. This is my activism. Yeah, no. And we have to, because the predators remain in their position of being predators. Um, Because I remember even, you know, uh, as I got older, I would hear people, you know, refer to, you know, my stepfather as, you know, he's doing well with his life and he got remarried and he, and I would sit there and I would go, I am still bleeding from the Mm. violation. 
And I remember I was 40 years old and I had gone back to uh, to Trinidad to visit. And it was it was a scene right out of a movie. Uh, my mom and I were in a car and, and, and she said to me, oh, let's let's go see, you know, your stepdad. I want to check in and see how he's doing. And the woman that I was uh, spoke to the little girl that was bruised and traumatized and says, not today, not on my watch. I'm going to stand up for you. And I looked and I said to my mother, I don't know what stories you tell yourself. I don't know what you have to do to make peace. I said, but as a woman, I will not allow myself to be in the company of somebody like that. So if y'all want to go see, you have every right, but I will not be part of that. And I tell you, the silence at the stoplight was like the freedom that I needed. That's massive. Yeah. At 40. And did she go see him? No. Good. No, no. Now I know you to be someone who just adores Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I'm a Jesus girl. <laughs> You're a Jesus girl. And that's part of what makes you beautiful. Thank you. Is your love for God and, and this perspective you have and this faith that you have despite all of it. Mm-hmm. So what took you from that conversation with the police to then finding Jesus? How did you get there? You know, it, it, it was a hard road to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there no, is, it's a, never easy. No girl. It ain't. <laughs> it, there is a story in the new Testament. Uh, and, and it's one of my favorite, favorite stories in the new Testament. It is about this woman in the village. Um, I believe her name was Mary. Not like the Mary, not, not Jesus's mother, another Mary. (laughs) Another Mary. (laughs) It was a common name back then, but she had had seven husbands. Girl. Right. (laughs) I told you she was my favorite girl, (laughs) but, but her story was this, she had had seven. And if you know anything about history and even the, the, you know, the culture at that time, a woman that has seven husbands is, you know, it's, it's, it's such a shameful title, right? That what she would do is it was very, it was very culturally a common practice that when you, you would gather water in the morning, right? So you would take your buckets and you would go to the well and you would get your water and you would bring it back to your household on your head, on your head or on your hip or, you know, however, and the, the Bible says that she was a beautiful woman to look upon. So that could be one of the reasons where, you know, she men were just mesmerized by her and said, no, we're not letting you go astray, even though we're number six. Right. <laughs> so she, you know, so she was able to do that. But the, the thing about it is, is that she had to go and get her water, not at the same time, the other women who only had one husband, because the shame conversations at the well was really, she, she had had enough of it. And she decided that I want water. I am thirsty. 
I do need to meet the needs of my household, but I'm going to do it at a time where I'm not bothering the good folks because I'm messed up. I'm damaged. I am, I am not what society calls honorable. And sometimes when we have been traumatized, that's the kind of mindset that we take, that we're no longer honorable. But the Bible tells you about Jesus was walking along with his disciples. And also this woman is culturally, she's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew that they don't meet. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's like, it's just not something that they would have tea or sit down. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was walking with his disciples. He was actually on a trip and he decided to stop, told his disciples. So imagine you live in Toronto and you have some friends visiting and you say to them, you know what? Let's go sit here, but I want to get, I want you to get me some food. I want you to go to like Ottawa to bring me back a certain dish. So it'll take a good couple of hours. Yeah. Right. So Jesus sent his disciples away because they had a Jewish background and this woman, it would be, you know, sort of like, sort he of, yeah. Like you don't, you don't talk to yeah. a woman like that, but Jesus knew the time that she was coming to the well. And so he sent his disciples away that there would be no distractions. And there she is with her fine self. Again, my favorite woman in all of the Bible. She comes to the well and Jesus asks her these questions. And she's, she's very bright. She quotes back the scripture and she says, this is my father Jacob's well. And, you know, the story goes on and on. The moral of the story is Jesus looked at her and he said, there is a thirst. There is something that you are longing for that those seven husbands can't satisfy. Can I give you something that will, that will fill you up, that you would feel a sense of wellness and wholeness, that when you walk, it wouldn't be about what people say you are, but it was who you were intended to be. And so I say that to say my faith walk or my journey to Jesus was like that. I wow. met him at the time of my life where I wasn't the most honorable, where not everybody liked me, where maybe I was a little too loud or a little too nice or a little too much for somebody. But I had this encounter with this faith where this Jesus said, oh no, oh no girl, mm-mm, mm-mm, just the way you are. I adore you. And it was one of the first times in my life where I didn't have to perform to be accepted. Do you know? And so therein was my continued relationship and love for this faith that I have. So beautiful on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were still fairly young. Yeah, I was at 19. Uh, and I, um, it was one of those things where you just kind of go partying, living out your best life or going to church. And what it was for me, um, and I just want to put this out there. It was really this kind of slowing down in the direction in which I was going, because it was not in alignment with who I was created to be. And to know that at 19 years old, after all of the trauma, all of the abuse, all of the defensiveness, you lived in those 19 years, hundreds of lives. Yeah. Yeah. At 19. 
And remember I told you about the imagery of being in a jungle and navigating through the danger, what the, the muscles, and I mean, I don't recommend it, but when you're in there, nothing that you do is wasted. Every muscle that is strengthened, that is developed, everything that causes you to survive is the very things that will cause you to thrive. So as horrible as some of those places were, as dangerous and deadly and hard, hard, hungry, lonely, fearful places, those were the places that I was developing the best muscles in order to thrive later ahead when I was protected, tended to, and fed. You are the most incredible person that I know. Oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Yeah. I, I, I am so floored by you, by what you have been through. Mm-hmm. I, I like, we are really good friends. So people like, I see you all the time in sit- different situations and I see what you offer to people. And I see the conversations that we have and the growth that we experience together mm-hmm. and your wisdom. And, and it's so profound to know where you came from and how far you've come. Mm-hmm. And not only have you come far, but you're bringing everyone with you yeah. because th- you make space and room for everybody. You know, I will say this as we wind down, I will say I was always I always felt invisible. I always felt that I was only visible to predators and I was invisible to everything else. And I remember shifting the tables and saying, I don't care how small you are. I will stoop to play with the littlest child. And I don't care how big you are. I will put my stilettos to give you the biggest hug but you will never be in my presence as a human being that occupies this earth and not be seen. I will not do that. And you don't have to be perfect. And I don't have to give you everything that you've got, but I want you to know that I see you and I like what I see as complex as you are. <laughs> and, and it's true. Like it, everywhere we go, mm-hmm. like people flock to you. And you just smile and they smile like it's I I witness it constantly and I just giggle and I laugh and then I'm smiling from ear to ear just witnessing how you have this ability to project love, which is the most authentic way of living. Yes. Right. That is that is the goal. Yes. Is to project love. Yeah. And you fill up the room with your love. And I've lived a good life. That was, <laughs> that is when Jesus met me at the well, that's the, he said, go and love. And, oh. and, and, and I mastered that. I mean, it's, it, I think there's a scripture that says we are to owe no one anything but love. And I think it's so ironic 
that I came from this loveless place to be one that have jars of love on either side of me willing to pour into empty jars. I think it's just this incredible gift that I have been given. And until the day that I close my eyes, my intention is to leave this world better than I found it. And I found it pretty messy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say the least. Yeah. And on that note, yeah. what you did today and the story that you shared is so important because we want to let people know that they are not alone in it. And this happens. Yeah. This happens so yeah. much more than we know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's important to let people know that it's not their fault. Yeah. And there is hope. Yes. There's hope to have a life filled with love, self-love. Yeah. 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 There's hope to not be empty and bottomless. Yeah. There's hope that there is an exchange that you can go from a thirsty person to not being thirsty like that anymore. You know, yes. there's, hope. there's hope. Yes. Cause we throw that word around thirsty. Yeah. So like that girl, she's so thirsty, Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and we all are, but we, we all, all are, are thirsty. We, <laughs> we there's always are. this, there's always this, what do I call it? Quiet desperation. That's what thirst is. And it's, it's a quench. quench. Yes. <laughs> yes. We all quench. are. So when, yeah. So when people say you're thirsty, I'm going, yeah, yeah. Today I was, I was thirsty <laughs> today. I'm okay with that. But my problem is that you thirsty and you don't even realize it, but I'm okay with my thirst. <laughs> that self-awareness, right? <laughs> the self-awareness. That's right. how you make it through, man. Like it's, right. it's, you can't say nothing listen. about me. Listen. Cause I know. Come on. I know who I am. Hashtag I know thirsty. what I've been through. Hashtag Come I'm on. thirsty. Hashtag thirsty. No more. Thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I love you so much. Thank you for just creating this incredible, incredible space for this incredible conversation. And for every listener that is listening, that is knowing that I am not bringing some delusional, far-fetched level of hope. I am just saying to you, start exactly where you are yeah and lean forward that's perfect that is so perfect because it's not toxic positivity it is it is it is the absolute opposite of that it is compassion yeah. it is grace yeah and it's and it's love and I love you so much you know I like girl I know girl you know, girl <laughs> Girl, you know, I love you. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, my love. Love you so much. Love to all of you that are out there. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the Hasten App Podcast. Please follow along on Instagram. Handle is at H-E-Y dot S-A-N-A-A to continue the conversation. And please share this with your friends and family if you think that anyone out there needs to hear today's message. Together, we can really help a lot of people. Have an excellent day and thanks for tuning in.